I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, September 8th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Democratic candidate for Mississippi Secretary of State has dropped out of the race. The party is approved to appoint a new candidate for the November race. Then we visit a Louisiana expressway where the noise isn't just loud, it's dangerous. And some residents want it gone. Plus, teachers in Mississippi say they need a wage adjustment to offset rising inflation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Democratic Party has announced a new candidate for Secretary of State. Democrat Shawaski Young won the nomination during this year's primary election, but dropped out of the race citing health issues. Attorney Ty Pickens of Rolling Fork will take his place. State Democratic Party Chair Sheck Taylor made the announcement on the steps of the state capitol yesterday. It is no easy feat running for office, especially when you're battling an illness. Shawaski, we're grateful for your decision and wish you the best in your recovery and your future endeavors. Now, it should come at no surprise to anyone that we, the Democratic Party, were asked and tasked to call a new nominee to step up and provide us with leadership when it was needed most. And this candidate, immediately and without hesitation, heeded the call. It should come as no surprise because that's what he does. And he's done this so many times in his career. This is the man who has served his country, his beloved Delta, and people in marginalized communities across the state of Mississippi who need his legal expertise. Now he stepped up to ensure that come November, Mississippians still have a choice in who will serve them as Secretary of State. Mississippians deserve someone in the Secretary of State's office who will fight for them, for their small businesses, the opportunity to help grow our state, and the right to vote. Mississippians' voting rights remain fragile, and far too many in this state, and our current leadership will continue to do everything in their power to keep that away. They do that because they're scared. Scared that too many Mississippians exercising their fundamental right to vote will result in their diminished power. Republicans would rather manufacture stories about voter fraud, stand in the way of reinstating the ballot initiative, 
or refuse to let people who have paid their debt to society use their voice, then allow Mississippians to allow Mississippians to have a real voice in how they govern the state. After it was announced Shawaski Young could no longer run, the State Board of Election Commissioners granted the Democratic Party permission to select a new candidate. Governor Tate Reeves says the decision was made based on legitimate non-political reasons, specifically medical concerns. The new candidate, Attorney Ty Pickens, says he hopes to address voting issues if elected to office. I first want to wish my friend Shawaski Young the best as he continues his recovery. I'm proud to continue the conversation he started about how the Secretary of State's office can better serve Mississippi small businesses, facilitate economic opportunities, and ensure that all eligible Mississippians have the opportunity to exercise the right to vote. I am humbled to be here accepting the Democratic Party's nomination for Secretary of State. And I want to be very clear that, though this isn't the typical run one makes in a statewide election, it is a campaign that I take seriously. I've, not, I've never been one to shy away from a challenge. And making sure that voters still have a voice this November is a challenge worth fighting for. This is a critical election. Up and down the ballot, we have an opportunity to elect people who care deeply about the future of our state. Mississippians who want to give back to the communities that raised them, who want to fight corruption, and who want to ensure that our state's families are equipped with the tools they need to live happy, healthy, and productive lives. But because Mississippi is without question the hardest state in the country to vote in, many Mississippians will have to choose between leaving the job they can't afford to lose or voting, paying for extra child care or voting. Taking that trip to the ballot box should be treated as nothing less than the sacred experience it is. Pickens has an ongoing campaign running for U.S. Senate against incumbent Republican Roger Wicker. He says the experience he's already had on the campaign trail has helped him identify weaknesses in the state's voting system. When Chairman Taylor first approached me with this opportunity, I told him about how I have been crisscrossing our state the past several months, hearing directly from Mississippi who have long felt like the electoral system is rigged against them. They are not wrong. Mississippi's restrictive and confusing voting laws didn't get that way by accident. Michael Watson and his Republican colleagues designed it that way. Republican lawmakers and state leaders have carefully gerrymandered and redrawn districts to limit the voting strength of minority and poor communities. They've refused to allow online registration and early voting. They've made it cost prohibitive and sometimes impossible to vote absentee, even with a valid reason. They've sown unwarranted mistrust in the, sec- in the secure processes that have long made it easier for our military, 
the elderly, and people with disabilities to vote. They've purged our voter rolls without rhyme or reason, and they work to intimidate us at every turn. Worst of all, they've stripped away our ballot initiative process, completely eliminating our right to take issues directly to voters. Whether it's bogus accusations of non-existent voter fraud or their refusal to reinstate the ballot initiative, the fact is this. Republicans would rather restrict your right to vote and limit your, vo your voice in government than adopt the common sense solutions we know the majority of Mississippians want to see implemented. Pickens will face off against incumbent Secretary of State Republican Michael Watson in November. Coming up, we visit a Louisiana expressway where the noise isn't just loud, it's dangerous. Some residents want it gone. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org. Or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MPB Online. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Many of the highways that get us from point A to point B plow through income low-income black neighborhoods, dividing communities and polluting the air. A new EPA study is looking at the health impacts of one of these expressways in Louisiana. Drew Hawkins with the Gulf States Newsroom reports the findings could have implications across the region. It's been nine years since Hunter's Field Playground opened, and the equipment still looks immaculate. The red slide is still shiny and the paint on the monkey bars is still sleek. But there are no children playing here. Residents say they don't come because of the noise. With the traffic overhead, it's so loud, it's hard to hold a conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yes. I'm here meeting Amy Stelly. She's an artist, urban designer, and an advocate with the Claiborne Avenue Alliance. That's a group of residents and business owners dedicated to remediating the expressway. When it was built in the 1960s, the Claiborne Expressway tore right through the heart of Treme, one of the oldest black neighborhoods in the U.S. It's a textbook example of the country's racist history of highways dividing communities of color. Stelly lives in her childhood home just over a block away from the high-rise, and for her, there's only one way to fix this. Removal. Removal is the only cure. Stelly and her nonprofit submitted a proposal to President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure deal, a program called Reconnecting Communities. They were looking for funding to figure out what it would take to move the highway. And in many ways, the project seemed like the perfect candidate. Claiborne was even specifically referenced by the White House when it announced which projects it would be funding. But they were denied. A separate proposal from the city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana was approved. They got some funding to spruce it up down here, improve the drainage, put in new lighting, things like that. But for Steli, the problem is they're also using the money to put more things beneath the interstate, like a public market complete with stages and performance spaces. And she says that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yes, it's a foolish idea because you're going to be exposed to the same thing. You may hear it in the background, but the noise here isn't just loud. It's dangerous. 
Since her proposal was denied, Stelly began working on an EPA-funded study on the health impacts of the Claiborne Expressway. Well, I forgot to censor. I'm sorry. I'll get to you. When we met at Hunter's Field, two grad students from LSU, Jackie Mornay and Beatrice Dua, were at the playground taking measurements with a monitor. Mornay shows me the noise reading on her phone. The levels are as loud as a motorcycle engine and can cause permanent hearing damage. But it's not just the noise. The study is also looking at pollution and the readings of the playground are way above EPA limits. So we're over, we're over on noise and pollution? We are way over. One of the main pollutants the study is looking at is called particulate matter 2.5, or PM 2.5. Think of it like a fine dust or powder. It's very small particles that come out of traffic um, in the tailpipe. Dr. Adrian Katner is with the LSU School of Public Health. They are so small that when you inhale them, they'll go deep into your lungs and then they can actually be transported into the circulatory system. And then through that, they can impact every system in your body. So the heart, the brain, if a woman is pregnant, it can cross um, the placental barrier. So it has a lot of impacts. Katner is managing the EPA study, and she says they're just getting started, taking preliminary readings. The study could take two to three years to complete. But there has been a ton of research on how traffic pollution impacts the human body, so the results of their study may not be too surprising. But Katner says they may be helpful for people who want to improve the environment for their communities. You know, we're not inventing the science here. All I'm doing is I'm showing them kind of what we already know in science, and then documenting it, giving them that data to then inform and influence policy. That's all I can do. And while this study focuses on the I-10 Claiborne Expressway, Katner believes their findings could help other communities divided by infrastructure. So a lot of cities are going through this right now. They're looking back at their highway systems. They're looking back at the impacts that it's had on a community, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. So I'm hoping that this project will inform them. Back at Hunter's Field Playground, Amy Stelly says she knows the study will find that the air she and her neighbors breathe is unsafe. But she's hopeful that the data will help her in her fight to get policymakers to do something about it. Maybe take down dangerous on and off ramps or scrap the idea of putting a market and event space underneath it. And maybe one day, remove the expressway entirely. I'm insisting on it because I'm a resident of the neighborhood, and I live with this every day. But the science tells us there's no other way. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Drew Hawkins. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, a recent report says teachers need a wage adjustment to offset rising inflation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Want to know what that family keepsake is worth? MPB's next Antique Showcase will be coming to the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College in Biloxi on Friday, October 13th and Saturday, October 14th. We'll have professional appraisers on site to evaluate a variety of treasure types. Tickets are limited and will go quickly, so don't delay. Reserve your tickets at mpbfoundation.org 
MS Showcase. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Teachers in Mississippi saw a bump in their paychecks earlier this year, but many educators say it hasn't been enough to keep up with rising inflation. Lawmakers passed a pay increase last year to the tune of about $5,000 enacted in January. Torn Ballard is K-12 policy director with the education group Mississippi First, and part two of a conversation with our Lacey Alexander. He says teachers in rural and underserved areas are more likely to consider leaving their positions for higher paying jobs. Some of the greatest takeaways we've been able to get from some of our research that we've done from some of our polling of teachers is that there are certain teachers that are at a much higher risk of leaving the classroom than other teachers. Um, so, for example, teachers that are teaching in D and F rated districts are more likely to be interested in either you know, leaving the profession entirely or taking a job in another district. If we want to turn around some of these low performing districts, the number one thing that they need is a steady supply of high quality teachers in those districts who are willing to stick around and do that hard work. Unfortunately, that's where we're seeing some of the highest levels of attrition, both honor polling and also the MDE attrition figures show the same thing. So just a very common sense fix there is to just incentivize teachers to go and teach in those districts where they are needed the most. And so we are proposing that the legislature create a critical shortage stipend of $2,000 to just incentivize those teachers to go where they are most needed. Obviously, the entire nation is seeing an issue with attrition with teachers. What kind of roadblocks do you see or what kind of arguments are you prepared to face about why maybe Mississippi's lawmakers shouldn't go forward with policy like this? Well, I think it's been a longstanding inability to properly invest in public schools in Mississippi and specifically in our state educator pipeline. Obviously, we had a record historic raise last year that we are very thankful for. And that really actually gives me optimism that the Mississippi legislature will continue to stand up for teachers. But the problem is that we are facing years and years of stagnant teacher salaries. I mean, when you look at inflation adjusted salaries, they've been going down most years because we're kind of used to this assumption that it's okay for Mississippi to be last or near last in teacher pay. And that if inflation's going up, that's actually not going to affect the buying power of a Mississippi teacher salary at all. So I think what we're really trying to do is correct for past mistakes. It's not even necessarily the, you know, people who are currently in office that, you know, are, are to blame for some of these issues. These are longstanding problems that go back years and years. And I think the biggest problem is, correcting some of this long-term inability to properly invest in teachers and public education generally. Is there anything that you'd like to touch on that maybe I forgot to ask you about? I guess I just want to reiterate, you know, one more time that Mississippi teachers are highly motivated, college-educated professionals, and we risk losing them to other states 
and other professions if we don't provide an opportunity for upward mobility and financial security. But at the end of the day, I remain optimistic because last year lawmakers passed the largest single-year pay raise in state history, and they demonstrated that the status quo of uncompetitive stagnant wages is far from inevitable. So lawmakers here in Mississippi have made historic investments in our educator pipeline. And even though we're dealing with issues like inflation cutting into those gains, we look forward to doing this again. Uh, Something that I found really interesting was teachers of color in your report seeing higher levels of financial insecurity. We are the blackest state in the nation. What does it mean to Mississippi specifically that black teachers and teachers of color seem to be struggling significantly? Well, I think it has dire implications for, you know, our goal to, to have equity in the teaching profession and in, you know, society generally. It's simply not a great look that black teachers and their peers of color are reporting higher levels of both financial insecurity and attrition risk. But I think even just looking at the big picture here, it also has terrible consequences for our educator pipeline. As you mentioned, we are the blackest state in the country, and black teachers make up a large portion of our educator pipeline. They should be making up more of it. You know, we have an overwhelmingly white educator pipeline, but because so many black teachers are in classrooms in Mississippi, if these teachers are facing higher levels of financial insecurity and attrition risk, at the end of the day, that just means more teachers are facing financial insecurity and attrition risk. And that's a problem that we are going to have to address um, head on. And that's why we kind of advocated some of these more targeted solutions. Now, you know, none of them are explicitly about putting more money in the pockets of teachers of color. These are kind of a, you know, meant for everybody regardless of their race or background. But what we found is that teachers of color are more likely to report issues of affording health care. They're more likely to report issues with student debt. Um, and they're also more likely to teach in some of those high-need districts that I mentioned earlier. And so some of our recommendations are definitely going to help target and incentivize teachers of color, as well as other teachers in those same schools, to really remain where they are most needed, which is in those classrooms. That's Torn Ballard, K-12 Policy Director at Mississippi First. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.